And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Thursday, our last broadcast of the week here on Live from the Bunker. Welcome, everyone. And we finally did it. (laughs) We got Mark Walters in uh, last night to talk about convention stuff, so that's coming up here on the show today to talk about the state of things. And uh, so, so that'll be coming here just shortly. The live chat is active for anybody who wants to uh, throw a comment in or a question or a thought. Now, the, the conversation with Mark is pre-recorded, but we will monitor the chat during that. Uh, if you are listening or watching on replay, you can always send us a comment uh, or a thought, some feedback live from the bunker at uh, sci-fi4me.com is the email address. And, of course, the comments are always open. We're on social media, way too many places, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Gab, MeWe, Minds, Facebook, although I'm really seriously, seriously, seriously reconsidering Twitter. It doesn't look like it's doing us very much good anyway, and uh, with with the news that uh, uh one of Jack's employees was actively working with that. Uh, I'm not going to get into it. Twitter's a bad place. We may get off. I don't know. Uh, hello, Robert in the chat. Uh, welcome to everyone who is watching. And uh, for those of you who are interested in this only as a podcast, you just want to listen and not look at my face. That's fine. I'm not going to take, take it personally, uh, but we are on a lot of the podcast players, uh, Amazon Music just launched their new podcast platform, so we're on there, and uh, we're on iHeartRadio, we're on Stitcher, we're on Apple Podcasts, uh, and uh, podcast.com is where it's hosted, so you can get the direct RSS feed link there if uh, if that's what you prefer. So, uh, so there we are. Um, subscribe. Robert asks, if I subscribe starred, could you hail Xenu somewhere in the introduction? <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't even, now Xenu is the, is that the, the Scientology? What's Xenu? I, I know, Robert, you have said this before, and you have told me what this is, and, and I've gone blank on, on Xenu. Let me, I got to make sure, because, you know, it's, yeah, okay, so that's Scientology. So, I, mm, let me think on that one. Huh? Well, my history. Yeah. I think one of the things that um, that we run into, I mean, we could say hi to people that are here. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. Um, there is, and you could get... Scientology is the religion of sci-fi. Well, I, I will will agree to disagree, Robert. 
and and I don't know if you're if you're being serious or not, and that's fine. I'm 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 perfectly fine either way. But um, my personal faith is not Scientology, so uh, for me to hail Zenu, I think would probably break a rule somewhere. I'm not sure, but I well I, we'll 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 keep you around anyway. So. Uh, sci-fi snobs is a good idea. Let's talk about religion. Not today because we've got lots on our plate. The, the conversation with Mark is, uh, is longer. So we're going to have a, a longer show today. So we will get into that. First of all, let me remind you, we've got a discount code over at superhero stuff.com. When you use the promo code sci-fi for me, 10, when you check out, you get 10% off your order and you can take the money you save and you can uh, support us over at subscribestar.com or you can leave us a tip in the PayPal tip jar. The link is in the show notes, uh, the description. So uh, last night, got a chance to sit and talk with uh, R.J. Carter over on the Critical Blast channel and uh, spent about an hour there talking about what we do over here. Earlier this week, if you didn't see it, if you missed it, we had our 100th episode of Salacious Crumbs Tuesday night uh, at uh, at 8 o'clock. It streamed, we streamed it live, and it looks like we're going to start doing that show uh, live from now on as much as we're able. So tune in for that. And then uh, tomorrow night... Right? Yeah, tomorrow night we have a new Ranker Pit talking about uh, Star Wars. That's our opinion commentary discussion show. So we have we, we try to keep our news and, and opinion separate. So when we get back, we're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, our conversation with Mark Walters about Comic-Cons, the paradigm shift, everything that's been going on over there. And what's next in the future of conventions? Stand by. When it comes to Star Wars news, is it better to get it in the corporate package or from fellow fans? For all the latest news, rumor, and speculation, check us out on Sci-Fi For Me TV, Salacious Crumbs. The grown-ups are back. And this time... Don't lose it, don't lose it, don't lose it, don't lose it. No subject is sacred. When they're making fun of him for being a Christian... Well, but no issue is ignored. This is a tragedy. This is a, a horrible thing. And no one is safe. But as someone who deals with depression, I, this, is, this is an issue with me. The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here, and we finally, maybe, have made all of this work. Mark Walters is here. Hello, sir. Hey, Jason. Sorry uh, we've uh, had some difficulties, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> well, and you know, the, the wonders of modern technology being what they are, uh, sometimes they just decide they're going to do their own thing, right? And and <laughs> schedules and and 
outside forces and things beyond our control. I mean, it's a it's a conspiracy of circumstance sometimes I get. So, uh, but we're glad you're able to be here. This is a, this is a, a conversation I've been looking forward to for a while, and uh, it is uh, a little bit of a of a mix of topics that are related to events. But uh, let's start by way of introduction. You are uh, one of the founders of the original Dallas Comic-Con Sci-Fi Expo and what started out as Star Wars Fan Days and just became Fan Days. And now that event is Fan Expo Dallas. And Fan Expo has purchased those events from you and Ben. And and now you're you're what you're editing bigfanboy.com and you're running the Dallas Comic Show. So you, you couldn't stay out of it, could you? No, you know, it's funny. I, I've been doing convention stuff for the last 30 years, and I can't even imagine my life without some kind of involvement with a convention. It's, it, I mean, it, it's funny because there was that point, you reach a certain point where it's like, oh, I've spent half my life doing this, and then I went past that, and now it's like I've spent, you know, literally like three-fourths of my life doing this. Uh, and when I first met up with Ben back in 2002, he was doing his own show. I was doing my own show and mine was more comic focused. His was more sci-fi, you know, kind of media focused. And we just decided it made sense to, you know, kind of partner up and do one big show. And that's how Dallas Comic-Con got born. And I was with that show. Uh, I worked with Ben and uh, Philip Wise for... 12 years and then fan expo bought the event and I stayed on with them for another two years, um, to do event management for them. And, uh, then I decided to kind of go back out and just do my own thing. And I really missed the sort of the old school convention. You know, I missed, I mean, it was, it was cool that we were able to grow Dallas comic-con as big as it was because it was a, a massive achievement and, you know, really kind of put Dallas on the map as far as, having its own, you know, recognizable Comic-Con event. But there was still a part of me that kind of missed the old school ways of, of how we started the shows and, and the shows that I fell in love with when I first got into this. And so nice. that really is what Dallas Comic Show for me is. It's sort of me going back to my roots, but at the same time uh, trying to sort of bring back that old school flavor. Now, what was the attendance like at Dallas Comic-Con when Fan Expo bought it? You guys were up somewhere toward 50,000, 60,000. Is that right? Or was it bigger than that? So, uh, wow. You know, it's funny because I'm trying to remember. And I don't want to get my wires crossed. But I, I think when we were right around the time when they bought it was when we had moved to the Dallas Convention Center. And we were at a we were kind of running around 20 to 25,000 people for a show doing them in Irving, which, um, you know, we love the guys in Irving, but we had far outgrown that convention center. We knew that we were going to have to go bigger. Yeah. And so we were going to go into Dallas convention center. And that was around the time when fan expo acquired the event. And I think the first show at Dallas convention center was about 50,000 or a little over 50,000. And then just from there, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. I, I'm not even sure what they're at now. I think it's probably closer to 70 to 80. Uh, at least those are the reported numbers. I, I Since I'm not directly involved anymore, I don't really have access to that. But sure. I know that it has grown since it was moved to the Dallas Convention Center. Um, it, but I think that, you know, 
every convention kind of tops out at a certain point. You know, I think that you, you hit a certain number and you kind of stay at that number for a while. And for us, you know, when we first moved to Irving in 2011, the first year that we did shows there, we were getting anywhere between 12,000 to 20,000 people. And that was a huge leap for us because we were used to doing shows in Plano where our max attendance was like 5,000. So for us to go from 5,000 to 12,000 was big. And then to go from 12,000 to 20,000 was big. And then going from that up to 50,000 was just crazy. But that was also at a time when I think conventions as a whole were just exploding. You know, everybody that had a Comic-Con event, you know, they were seeing massive uh, jumps in attendance. And um, I think that's kind of tapered off now. Well, and I know up here, Planet Comic-Con, our first year... Going to Planet was in 2009. I think that was their uh, second or third. And they had they had outgrown their original convention center and gone from Overland Park down to uh, Bartle Hall, downtown Kansas City, and just exploded from there. And you're talking, you know, you're going from like you're saying, 10, 20, you know, 10 or 20,000 up, up to 50, 60. I think last year they were reporting 80,000. So it, it, it does get almost kind of a chicken and egg thing where you get big enough, you outgrow it, and then as soon as you go into the next one, it just gets m- all that much more bigger because now you're able to fill the space. It's almost like shoving a blob right in the middle of a box, right? It fills the box. So, yeah, and you know, for, for Ben Stevens and I, one of the things that we really loved about the shows was being able to have kind of that personal touch to where like everybody that came to the shows, they knew who we were. They mm-hmm. would stop us and say hi. They would shake our hand, you know, and when you get past a certain size, you literally just can't do that anymore. You yeah. know, you kind of have to, you know, you, you realize that the event itself has grown so big that you kind of have to be a little more hands off. And so that was one of the reasons for me that uh, when I decided to go back to kind of an old school style show, uh, you know, I purposely wanted an event that was just a couple thousand people to where we could kind of go back to that sensibility. But uh, I, I enjoy I enjoy both sides of events. Like if, if I'm in the right mindset to go to a giant show, I can enjoy a giant show. Um, I think it's just for the fans, they have to figure out what they like best. Um, and it goes the same for, you know, guests and agents and stuff like that. I mean, we have people all the time that say, you know, oh, I love I love your show because it's smaller and it's easier and it's more intimate. But we have we also have people that say, well, I was expecting this to be bigger and I was hoping for something bigger or whatever. So, you know, it, it's just a series of trade offs. It's always a series of trade offs, you know, but right. it's all about finding what works for you. Now, have you run across because I had I we have a, a master list over at sci fi for me.com. We list all of the different events that we know about. And so far, we're sitting at two thousand one hundred twenty six. Yeah, worldwide events. That's a lot. Events. That's a lot. <laughs> and I've seen a couple of comments from people saying that there aren't a whole lot of fan run events on that list. These are all, you know, the corporate stuff or, you know, there's they're organized by some company or a nonprofit or whatever. And it it strikes me that Dallas Comic Show sort mm-hmm. of kind of fits into that second category, the fan run as opposed to the big entity that, you know, this conglomerate corporate thing. Right. Are you in touch with other 
organizers? Because I know, I know here, you know, Chris, Chris Jackson over at, at, at Planet, all Great of the guy. promoters, promoters talk to each other. Everybody's in communication with each other because you guys coordinate. Oh, I'm going to get this guest in. Maybe we get up, you know, do a package deal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're all visiting each other's shows. But for the smaller shows, is that line of communication open among shows like Dallas Comic Show, Smallville Con, uh, Top Con in Topeka, some of the some of the littler ones that are you know like fifteen hundred two thousand people? Um, yes, uh, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure I get what you're asking, but I do, I will say that like Chris Jackson, for example, who you just named, uh, Chris and I talk all the time. Um, we talk on Facebook messenger, oddly enough, we've never met in person, <laughs> but we talk on <laughs> Facebook messenger all the time. Um, which is kind of funny because my show is, uh, in a lot of ways, it's nothing like his show. It's his show is a much bigger event, but you know, because I've come from that background where I've worked those big events, I can still, you know, communicate with those people easily. Um, as far as like some of the smaller fan run events, uh, oddly enough, there's, there's, I would say the lines of communication are open, but there's probably not as much crossover. And I, I think I can tell you why. And I think that's because most of those events are, are usually specific theme events. So mm-hmm. like, for example, you might have a Doctor Who con that is a smaller fan run event or a, a like you said, a Smallville con. Um, there was uh, Winona Earp has its own con now. Yeah. And, and so some of those conventions, because they are such a specific theme and they're not as broad in terms of what they go after, uh, someone like myself would probably have no point in talking to them unless I was trying to emulate the same theme. Um, But that doesn't mean I'm against talking to them. I mean, like I'd be perfectly happy to discuss things with other promoters. I do talk to people from, you know, there's some anime conventions that go on there. You know, I've talked to people with very specific theme events that uh, like horror cons, and we don't really do a lot of horror, but sometimes we do, maybe almost accidentally kind of fall into that category. Uh, for the last couple of years, I've been bringing in guests from Twin Peaks and um, that's been a big hit for me. And I was kind of surprised to see that other conventions were not going after these people, um, you know, to where when I talked to the agent, I was like, I said, is anybody else booking these people? And she was like, no, not really. And I was a little surprised by that because I thought, well, it's doing really well for me. <laughs> so, you know, I, it, I say that I would say the lines of communication are always open. As far as I'm concerned, I'll talk to any promoter about anything they want to talk about. I'm kind of an open book when it comes to that stuff. Um, except for maybe in certain instances, if there are private business details, when it comes to contracts, I try to keep that a little more close to the vest, but, um, but yeah, I, I try to stay really friendly with the other promoters because the way I see it, this is, I mean, you know, this Jason, this is such a small knit community. When you get right down to it, everybody knows everybody. Right. And the last thing I want to do is come across as unapproachable or come across as, as more of an elitist to where I, where I'm not willing to talk to somebody. So I always try to tell people, yeah, if you want to reach out to me for a contact or advice or, or just maybe make a suggestion, I'm totally open to it. You know, I, I wish more people were, I think some of these guys are a little bit, nervous about that kind of thing you know because they want to protect their event or they want to protect their reputation sure 
Um, but yeah, I'm always, I'm always open to talking to other promoters. Now it's funny you mentioned contracts and, and that's something that I kind of wanted to, to get into a little bit here with the, the way shows are organized and run and without giving away too many trade secrets, especially in this, this year. is not product placement. <laughs> well, especially, no, that's okay. That's all right. Especially in this year where things have just been so crazy and hectic and, and not normal. Uh, I, I frequently see, why don't they do X, you know, fill in the blank. And normally, in, a, in, a, in any given year, a lot of it has to do with the schedule. Oh, well, that's the, mm-hmm. same, that's the same weekend as C2E2. Why don't they go this weekend? Why don't, we do, why don't they do it in May? Why don't they, you know, they, that. There are a lot of behind-the-scenes, nuts-and-bolts, inside-baseball stuff that the people who are just attending don't uh, don't understand all of the all of the machinations and all of the different things that have to to line up just right for the show to be what it needs to be. Yeah. So it, it without without getting too deep in the weeds, let's go through your typical process of organizing an event because if you're starting from scratch, okay, it's 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 the first day of planning the next show. What are some of the priorities for that in terms of you know you're lining up guests, you got to line up a location, you got to secure a date. What's involved in all of that? Because there's a, there's a lot of moving parts there. So, great question. Um, because uh, I don't often hear people talk about this from the perspective that you're asking. And, and the way I approach it, and I'm not saying this is the way everybody else would, but the way I approach it is um, I, I try to keep a very continuous dialogue going with uh, the booking agents that I use for different guests. And what we'll do, a lot of times we'll do it far ahead of time, or we may even do it at a show is we'll say, hey, uh, you know, who would be somebody that would be good to think about for the next event? Or we start to try to build a theme, you know, like we'll say, hey, we want to do something with, uh, like, for example, with Twin Peaks. And I'll say, okay, could we get this person, this person, this person, this person? Can we get all of them together? Would they be available? You know, and when would be a good time for that? And then, you know, I try to find out the availability. I try to lock in you know, a certain number of guests ahead of time. And then that's when I start kind of, you know, looking around at dates and things like that. Usually I put, and this doesn't apply to every convention promoter because some promoters are at the mercy of the convention center themselves. I try to put dates on hold with the convention center and I'll put like three or four dates on hold and then I'll come back to them and I'll say, okay, I'm going to use this one. Go ahead and free up the other ones. Um, and that way it gives me the the variety to where, if plans fall through, um, I, I may still have three other options that I can go with. It's really tricky sometimes because uh, depending on the location and the convention center, um, you the convention center may tell you, look, there's two weekends open next year. It's this and this and that's it. Yeah. And that's happened to me before. Um, that but, happens a lot uh, of people. Yeah. Yeah. It can be really tricky depending on where you're at. And uh, so I try to... You know, I've, I've been using two different event centers um, in the past couple of years and kind of bouncing back and forth. And part of that's also location because I, I 
like I do a lot of shows in Richardson, Texas, but I've done shows in Louisville, Texas. And I've noticed that I get people like depending on where I do it, I get people at the different event centers that don't go to the other event center. And it's not really that far away, but it's <laughs> there's something about that driving distance that yeah. people just won't make the drive. So what I try to do, I guess what I was getting at is I try to have some, I try to have at least a couple of my chess pieces in place before I start really, you know, going to work. Um, so I try to lock in a few of the guests ahead of time. That way I can, you know, I can announce something first and then build off of it. Um, some shows have a tendency to, you know, they just, they start inviting guests in mass and then, you know, they want to announce something and they want to have a giant guest list, like right when they start. And that's fine. You know, for bigger shows, it makes sense to do that. For me, because I'm a smaller event, I only bring in like 2,000, 3,000 people for a show. Um, I try to start off with like, you know, a half a dozen really cool names that are just kind of like, hey, here's my starter list. You know, this is this is just the appetizer. And then I kind of build off of that. And, and then the process of planning... A lot of it is really just promotion, networking, you know, getting out there. I mean, nowadays, social media is just I remember back in the 90s when our way of promoting a show was literally mailing flyers to people yep. and then just driving all over the place and putting flyers in every place that would take them. Nowadays, that's kind of pointless. Like there would be no real benefit of doing that because most people don't pick up paper flyers anymore. And as far as mail goes, uh, that's very problematic and expensive. So the money is better spent and the time is better spent, you know, doing Internet advertising. And so I'm seeing a huge bump in, in promotion as far as things like Instagram. Uh, you know, Facebook, obviously, is very popular. Uh, Twitter, not so much, which is kind of interesting. I, I for, for the sake of, of getting the word out about the show, I, I find that Twitter doesn't really seem to get a lot of traction. I don't know why that is. But, uh, but yeah, it seems like Instagram's becoming very popular. And I'm also noticing that, like, video ads, like, mm -hmm. it could just be me talking. Like, it could just be me saying, hey, guys, Mark here from Dallas Comic Show. I want to tell you about what's coming up. Just doing something like that, uh, it gets a huge amount of engagement. Yeah. I think people are just, they respond better to that than if you just put up like a picture and say, here's who's coming to the show. Well, it, and the social like media actually have somebody. Yeah. You know, the, the algorithms are geared toward the video stuff anyway, too, because they want to compete right. with YouTube, especially with Facebook. And now that mm -hmm. Facebook owns Instagram, I would, I would imagine it'd be the same thing over there where if you've got video, we're going to kick you to the top of the list in terms of. Yeah reach and, and engagement. But when, when you're looking at the marketing of things and you talk about using email and internet marketing and, and such, the, the ability to communicate with your fan base uh, seems to me to be a critical piece of that. And, and, you know, you've got all volunteers, you're organizing committees and, and you're putting all this stuff together how much planning goes into the messaging as far as, you know, you've got these guests to announce, you're going to roll this out. How far out from the show do you start looking at, well, we have to start advertising six weeks out, eight weeks out. How does that plan come together? There? So again, for me, uh, because I'm a smaller event, uh, 
I could probably plan and execute a show with, even if I just have like three to four months, uh, that's really all the time I need. Whereas a bigger show, uh, some bigger shows want to have at least a year worth of planning. Um, you know, I, even when we were doing Dallas comic-con, which, you know, even when it was getting big, we were still operating on like a six month out schedule. Um, which was comfortable for us. I mean, because we knew that we could get the work done in six months. Uh, and, and that was something that Ben and I always kind of excelled at was um, we used to joke about, you know, if we really, really had to, we could throw a show together in a month. Uh, it may not be the most well executed <laughs> show, but we could do it if we had to. And, and it was because we kind of had this nice working rhythm with each other. Uh, and again, not all shows to have that, or, or maybe they don't have the luxury of that because of certain factors like convention centers and things like that. But I, I try to give myself three to four months. Uh, and the way I see it is like that first month again is the appetizer. It's, it's you teasing the audience and saying, okay, we've got a show. Here's the date, mark your calendar. Here's wave one of what we're going to do. And then you just kind of build off of that. And uh, that's that's pretty much how I plan it out. Um, we try to have tickets on sale no longer than, say, well, for again, for us, it's different. But like I'd say six weeks out from the show, right. bigger shows want it. Bigger shows want it months out. They want it. You know, they want people to start buying tickets, you know, three to four months out. And that's a really interesting thing, because there's an interesting trend that seems to be growing of people not wanting to buy advanced tickets because in the last, again, as you know, in the last few years, a lot of shows have had cancellations, sometimes really big cancellations, like even the week of the show. And so the fans end up feeling burned because they're like, well, why did I buy these advanced tickets when I could have, you know, if I had waited until I got to the show, then I could have made the decision then and so many shows, uh, I mean, ours included, you know, their tickets are non-refundable um, unless the show wants to make an exception because the guest was a particularly big name. So, yeah, ticket sales is, is again, that's very dependent on the show. But I, I'm seeing and I'm talking to a lot of other promoters who are seeing it, too. I'm seeing a big decline in advanced ticket sales. And I think it can directly be blamed on a lot of shows that are having last minute cancellations. So. Now that's pre-pandemic, right? Because it, oh, nowadays, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, with everything everything starting to roll through and getting canceled, um, you know, on our list, we've got over twelve hundred different shows that have either rescheduled or canceled or gone virtual. And you know, since since we started tracking it, I think March fifteenth is the first time we started reporting on this. We call them our school closings list. So because we're basically <laughs> yeah. going through and doing the same kind of thing that you would do with that kind of thing, where you're saying, okay here are all the ones that are canceled and here are the ones that are going virtual. And, and the, the amount of frustration, at least at the very beginning, uh, when you, you still had the question of whether or not San Diego was going to happen, for example, and then, well, is Dragon Con going to go or is, you know, it, pick your, pick your event because C2E2 was the was really the last real big one before all of the lockdown happened and some of these they know, got you, they got in right under the wire. Yeah, and and we were at that one and then as as things rolled out and we're like, well, 
what about Star Wars Celebration? What is that? Yeah, now, you know, now the one that's on the radar for everybody is Star Trek Las Vegas in December. Because is it going to go or is it not? And, you know, for now, at least, it's still on. But there's that question because we've already got 2021 events that are canceling and just saying, you know, we're just going to skip and we're just going to regroup in, in 2022. Yeah. But there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the chatter is, well, why don't they just cancel? Why don't they just go ahead and cancel? Because we know that they're going to have to cancel. And we hear a lot of stuff about, you know, the, the way the contracts are worded and, you know, force majeure clause and all of that kind of thing. What are some of the complications in making those grand sweeping changes like say because you get the stars that cancel and and that's always a thing you know people are are usually aware that they're you know because you put it in all of the marketing subject to change you know that you always have that that out but now you're talking about the entire event either moving or changing and that affects tickets and affects travel how much of a headache is it for these shows to be having to go through this, to, to, to be dealing with, we have to wait to cancel until somebody tells us we have to cancel because of the way the contracts read. How much, how much of a thing is that? I mean, is that... You know, I, again, I've been very lucky because my convention center was very kind to me. Um, and I know that not all of them have been like, they, they basically told me uh, when all this kind of started, cause I had dates on hold and um, but, it, but my hold is different because my hold is almost more of a courtesy hold than an actual, like, you know, I don't have a contract that they can come back and, you know, hit me with. Right. But uh, they basically said, yeah, we're, we're probably not going to do any events for the rest of the year. And they checked with me and they said, were you thinking about doing something? And I was like, no, nah, I, I can see where this is headed. You know, I'm not going to don't even don't even entertain the thought at this point until this is gone. I think, you know, I'm, I'm not going to plan anything. And that's kind of been my mindset for, you know, since April, really. I, I, I knew well, I don't want to say I knew because I'm not Nostradamus, but I, I had a very strong feeling that this was going to last a while. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of made my decision early and said, yeah, I think we're done for the year. And and they agreed. And and my and my facility is actually like a city facility. So I'm sure they've had several meetings about, you know, what they're going to do for the rest of the year. And they probably have a better idea than even we do in terms of what they can and can't get away with. So I was lucky. Um, I know that in certain instances, some of these promoters are really having a hard time with this because their contracts, the way those contracts are structured a lot of times, uh, unless the event center itself or the city comes in and cancels the event, then the event promoter could be on the hook for all of the expenses that they pay for the event center. And there's literally nothing they can do about it. Right. And it's, it's really crappy. And I, and we've seen so many events even recently that, you know, they had to wait until the last second to cancel. 
And I know these promoters are going through hell because they're just like, you know, we don't want to string our customers along. We don't want to tell them, yeah, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. But at the same time, if they say it's not going to happen, then they run the risk of the convention center seeing that. Because I don't know about these other shows, but like my convention center pays attention to what I say in my advertising. Sure. So if a convention center saw you actively telling people, yeah, we don't think this event's going to happen. They could totally screw you over for that. They could totally come back and say, hey, what are you doing? You know, we have a contract here. Well, and not only um, but, that, uh, not only on the facility side of things too, but your uh, your guests, your the people that you've got oh, contracts yeah. for appearances, all of that. I mean, it's just like stacking up a whole roll of dominoes. As soon as one of them goes, all of them go, and you can't really pull the trigger and cancel a bunch of appearances without being on the hook yourself, uh, unless yeah. you know, like you say, the city comes in or the facility says. Yeah, that's it. We're not going to do anything the rest of the year. But it seems to me that there are some of the, that would that would almost be more of a pain point for the bigger shows than the smaller ones because of the number of celebrities that are involved, the amount of space that you're renting, uh, you know, all the pipe and drape, all the tables, all the all the facility stuff that has to get set up. And we've seen over the last few weeks a number of smaller shows, like say down down in Florida, North Carolina, Arkansas, we're seeing, you know, the fifteen hundred, two thousand size type of of events that are going ahead and moving forward with their shows, with the you know the protective measures in place, the social distancing, spread the tables out and whatnot, and they seem to be having a little bit better time of it. Possibly, maybe because they're smaller and they can afford to spread out a little bit more than the bigger shows would be. Do you think that rolling out of all of this as we get into 2021, 2022, that some of the smaller shows like Dallas Comic Show or, or Smallville or, or TopCon or Air Capital, are you think maybe those are going to do a little bit better in coming back and recovering than the bigger shows? Absolutely. Um, I've had the same conversation with so many promoters, including Chris Jackson. Um, and uh, I think that I'm not going to sit here and say that the days of the big box shows are over, but they're over for now. And I think that Part of the reason they're over for now is because you just literally cannot do it. Um, there's no there's no way to do it that doesn't in some way violate you know the state mandates or the city mandates and whatnot. Uh, we're getting we're going into flu season, and we don't know where this is going to end up yeah. in the next few months. I mean, by the time we hit December, this could be ten times worse than what we're going through right now. They're already talking about. A lot of the reopenings that the city, I mean, Dallas isn't immune to that either. The reopenings the city has had, um, you know, and there's now more cases and, and they still don't have a workable vaccine. Uh, I, But I do see what you're talking about. You know, I've seen some of these shows that have been doing it and are practicing, you know, safety measures and seem to be pulling it off. Um, some of them are even moving the outside from what I've seen. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And most of the reports that I'm hearing are pretty good. 
you know, I mean, in terms of uh, the way they're being handled, uh, the attendance numbers. But, you know, what's interesting, like there was a show that happened uh, just a week or so ago. uh, Well, maybe more than a week or so ago, about a month ago. And I remember (laughs) they were they had posted a video where they were saying, hey, we want to recap the show and show everybody what's going on. And and one one vendor behind their table like pulled their mask down to talk to the guy on camera and everybody lost their minds and was like, Oh my God, I'm not going to the show. Look, this guy took his mask off. Yeah. There's still a lot of hypersensitivity to this right now. And so that's what you have to kind of bear in mind. And that's, and and I also look at things like movie theaters. You know, I, I know a lot of, uh, like I know some guys that are actual, you know, managers of movie theaters here in town and movie theaters are, tanking right now and the reason they're tanking is because people just don't feel safe to go back to movie theaters so i i think you can do it i think you can have a show and i think you can you know as long as it's kind of a smaller more controlled event i think you can do it and pull it off and have it work but you just have to be prepared for the fact that uh regardless of how i or you or anyone else feels about the severity of this virus there are a lot of people out there that are still extremely sensitive to it right now. So as long as you're going into it with that in mind and respecting that, I think it is possible to pull it off. I've, I've had a guy here in town that has been hitting me up. He wants to do kind of a smaller event. I've had a couple of vendors been hitting me up. The problem is that Dallas County is kind of a hot spot. So for me, and because my show is, dallas comic show and not like denton comic show or something like that it it, i can't i just have to be careful about what i do and i'm and i'm not really at a point where i feel comfortable planning something but does that mean that a year from now or maybe six months from now uh that will change i i certainly hope so i mean i'm not gonna lie to you jason this has not been easy for me uh this and i know a lot of other promoters that share that sentiment um, you know, because I'm in the event business and I can't have events. Uh, and that's very strange. And a year or so ago, this was, this was never even a, a thought in my head, you know, of what would it be like if a year from now I couldn't do conventions anymore. So it's been a real adjustment of peri- adjustment period, but hopefully I think we can all learn from this and, and maybe apply this towards how we do events moving forward. I think the face of Comic-Con has changed. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to go back to the way things were. I really don't. I think it's going to be a very different type of procedure moving forward. And that applies to everything. It applies to planning. It applies to attendance. It applies to guests. It it, it applies to all these uh, factors of these shows. Now, let me ask you, you mentioned people being a little bit hypersensitive. And there are going to be people, even even if all of the governments everywhere, the local, county, state, federal, everybody sits there and says, we're all clear, everything's fine, we can all go back to normal. There are going to be some people that say, no, not yet. And they are not going to want to go to these bigger events where you've got 20, 30, 40,000 people. So planning ahead for that, and you talk about the paradigm shift that this year has, has wrought upon us, do you see, because so many events have done the virtual type of thing, and we've seen that be a little bit hit and miss success-wise, 
uh, DC yeah. fan, uh, DC Dome knocked it out of the park. San Diego, not so right. much. And you would think right. you would think San Diego would have an idea because you know it's San Diego, and and it's probably one of the worst ones that I've seen. Yeah, that was surprising to a lot of people, I think. Do you think that it's a smart idea moving forward for there to be an online broadcast committee as part of all of this? Because now, yes, we're going to be able to go back and do the physical in-person shows, but there are still going to be people that are hesitant to go and attend. So would it make sense to add an online component to all of the shows, maybe not all of the shows, but to some of the more major shows, to have that option for people who don't want to step foot in the in the in the convention center yet. Well, I think it comes back to uh, what the value of the price of admission. Because a lot of people, like when all this started and and when people just first started talking about the whole virtual side of doing, possibly doing conventions, um, I talked to a lot of different people. And one of the, the, one of the main reactions I got was, if I'm going to pay to attend a virtual convention, uh, what am I getting out of it? Yeah. Like, you know, what is my return on my investment? Yeah. And if my return on my investment, and this is, I think this is one of the reasons why the Comic-Con um, version kind of, I don't want to say failed, because I know they worked really hard at it, and I feel bad for them that it didn't go better, but failed to live up to expectations? I guess I could say that at least. Um, but I think one of the reasons that it did kind of fail to live up to expectations is because you know, when you tell people, um, yeah, we're going to have three or four days full of panels. Well, I can, I can go watch a panel on YouTube right now. I don't have to wait for a virtual convention to do that. I can watch any number of panels. I, you know, so, so it's about what are you offering them in return? And the first thing that popped into my head when I thought about the idea of a virtual convention was I thought if you could set up a way to where, uh, for the price of admission, they had access to a private room like you and I are talking right now, and uh, they could ask questions to the guests and and you set it up like a virtual panel. Mm -hmm. You know, that to me seems like something that actually would have value and people would think was really, really cool. I mean, nowadays, it's all about interactivity. If people feel like they're participating, it's the same reason that when you go to YouTube and you see these users that uh, have monetized their channels and they're able to take in super chats. There's one reason why people will give you super chats is because they want to be heard. Yeah. So if you can figure out a way to make that happen with a virtual convention thing, like to where people actually are allowing themselves to be not only participate, but have their voice be heard and feel like they are actually interacting with people, then I think there is a, a viable option there. But if you're just hosting panels that's kind of i just don't know that that's really going to cut it and there's been so much of it too like I, you know it's like every every time i hear now about another virtual convention i just think great another virtual convention you yeah. know it it doesn't seem to have a lot of appeal to it but i don't think that means that it's impossible to make it work uh i think it's just about finding 
the the right balance of of all of that. And I also feel like that from the convention side of things, um, I would want to try to provide something for the viewers that was still kind of like a take home something or other. Like, let's say I'm giving, I'm showing all my cards here. <laughs> my ideas when I was thinking about doing this for Dallas comic show was I was like, Hey, maybe I can make a, a program book that has artwork from a lot of the different, you know, guests and people. And then we can mail those around to the guests and get them to sign it. And then all the people that buy a ticket, we just mail them a copy of the program or something. Now, granted, that's, uh, that's a lot of work to yeah. facilitate that, but that's the kind of idea that I was thinking of in terms of, you know, the interactivity and, and making people feel like they're walking away with something. Um, because I think the big allure of conventions has always been, the one-on-one -on -one interaction, you know, having that intimate uh, experience with the guest and, and, you know, people that go to like, for example, people that go to comic book conventions, they want to get sketches. They want to get, you know, they don't want to just get their book signed. They want to, they want to commission someone to get an original sketch or they want to buy an original page of comic art. Um, and it's the same thing with the celebrity guests, you know, they want to meet the celebrity. They want to have that little interaction so they can tell their friends, I got to say this to John Barrowman, or I got to say this to, you know, uh, um, Tara strong, you know, they, they always, they want to have that moment. And I just don't know. It, it's so hard to, to capture that when it's a virtual setting. Right. Um, but I don't think it's impossible. I think there is somewhere in there is a magic formula and, and, People just haven't quite found it yet. And as far as DC Fandom goes, uh, I was very impressed with what they did. It was very well handled, very well executed. But let's face it, the reason DC Fandom was successful was because they unleashed all these awesome trailers for new movies that nobody was even thinking about. Like, oh, you've got a new Batman trailer? Like, no one was talking about that before DC Fandom. You know, uh, so so I think DC Fandom had a little bit of an edge because uh, it was like the Hall H of virtual conventions, basically. It, it, right. it, they they trumped everybody because they had really cool content. Well, and, and that's uh, and that's something that that I remember seeing a lot of discussion about was, you know, in the wake of Comic Con at home not doing very well, at DC doing their own thing. And of course, Disney's always got D twenty three, and and just, you know Sony was going to come up with something. The question now is, do we even need San Diego? Do we even need the Hall H? Because you know DC just proved DC and Warner Brothers just proved that they can do it on their own. Mm -hmm. And so now, even if you have a, a live in person event at a convention hall, you know there's nothing that says that Warner Brothers can't put on their own version of D twenty three. Because they just did. They did, yeah. And it was damn good, you know. I mean, I, I got to say, uh, they. it's a shame that Fandom wasn't the first virtual convention. Because if it was, it would have really, like, I think it would have set the bar so that everybody would have been trying to, like, hey, guys, did you see what these guys did? We yeah. got to find a way to do something comparable to that. And, um, yeah, it's it's tricky. You know, I mean, there's so much that goes into that. And, and I've seen, I've seen some that were done really, really well. Uh, comic live, which was comic art fans, uh, which I, uh, I'm a little biased cause I participated in and I actually hosted some of their panels, but I thought, 
thought they handled it beautifully in terms of how they did it because they they had a really nice schedule. They had really great interactive panels that they were running on YouTube, Facebook, and their website simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So there was plenty of exposure for it. Um, that's another thing is that some of these, I think, because, you know, the ones that are charging you to participate, uh, it's automatically more limited. You know, I would think that you would want to have the widest audience possible. Right. Or at, the, or at the very least, maybe have day one be free and then people check it out to see if they want to participate in day two or day three or something like that. But, um, yeah, it, I, I just keep coming back to that same thing, which is I, there has to be a magic formula that is perfect for it. I just don't know that anyone has maybe found that yet with the possible exception of DC fandom. I thought they did, but DC fandom is so well produced too. Yeah. You can tell they, they spent a lot of money on that. <laughs> so, and I don't know that everybody else has that ability. You know? Well, and I was impressed with what dragon con put together as well, because they had, they had three different tracks. You had the, the, the live now panels, and then you had a fan cosplay track of video zoom calls and, and, and that sort of thing. And then you had, uh, uh, DC TV land, their retro channel, which was all of the video from past events. So you had, you had your choice of the different things that you could watch. And like you say, you know, I, I could go watch any panel from anywhere, anytime on YouTube. And one of the things that I was looking at with DC, I was like, or with, with dragon con, I think this is what I had in mind when I wanted to set up our channel and get off mm -hmm. of YouTube and do our own thing. And this is something I've been thinking about since we were back at Worldcon in 2016 when it was here in Kansas City. Because those discussions, when I said we would like to come in and broadcast from the event. And after a certain amount of dead silence, there was, you want to do What? Because nobody was thinking al along those lines at that point. And how I had to explain it was, if you think of a political convention or a sporting event where you have the anchors in the booth and you get the reporters on the floor and you're covering from all these different places, something like that for Worldcon, we were able to do something that nobody has ever done. And... I got asked a few different times from different people, is this the new model? Because we had our own space and we were broadcasting and we did 53, 54 interviews through that week. Because when people, when, when people, you could see the light go off when they figured out, oh, you guys are, you guys are live. You guys are broadcasting right now. Can we do an interview? And they get excited about it because this is a new thing. And I'm thinking, you like you say, there has to be this this added value component in doing something like that for for events, especially if you got people that are not going to step in, step inside yet. There has to be something there for them, but it also has to be something unique. And we've had, you know, when we were at uh, when we were at, at uh, Star Wars Celebration last year. One of the things we did, we just walked around the show. We said, look at all the, here's all the booths. Look at all this. And there were people that were sitting there saying, we really appreciate getting the walk around to see what's there. It's almost like we're there. You know, mm -hmm. it, you know we were the proxy because we just, we just wandered the show. It's, oh, hey, look, there's, there's three Han Solos. And look, there's a Jabba the Hutt. And, you know, and got to, 
share that experience with the audience in a way that if you could figure out that model, like you're talking about, have something that is both a part of the show and unique to the broadcast aspect of it, I think you could figure out some formula that you could make that work. And the irony for me is, you know, I was like, we we did this four years ago, and now everybody's like, you know, well, no, we're not going to do anything, because after we figured that out, we're like, well, we need to get in touch with these shows and start maybe having these discussions. And at the time, nobody wanted to do it, but now everybody's having to do it, so it's like, yeah, irony. Uh, but it's but it is one of those things. I think moving forward, a lot of events are going to have to think about as part of whatever plan that they have. It's almost I don't want to say it's almost going to be a given, but especially for some of the larger shows, you'd you'd think they'd almost have to figure on some kind of online component, maybe. Yeah. Well, it's funny in a way because um, outside of, of doing the convention stuff, my uh, longtime career has been that of being a film critic. And I've been dealing for the last couple of decades uh, with the fact that some of these movie studios, um, I won't name them in particular, <laughs> Universal Fox, <laughs> um, but some of these movie studios still to this day do not put as much importance on online content as they do on traditional, you know, like newspaper, radio, TV. Yeah. And it boggles my mind because it's like, guys, the, the, these other outlets that you're giving the prime content to, they're not, that's not what people are looking at anymore. You know, like people are looking at online content. And so I, I, I liken it in a lot of ways to kind of what you're talking about in the convention world that some of these convention promoters maybe don't see or haven't seen the writing on the wall for the last couple of decades. And, and yes, you're absolutely right. They should have been moving in that direction. They should have been, you know, trying to do more things that way. I will tell you that there is one hiccup that has prevented, I think some shows from maybe going further with it and, and one of the reasons that I know this is because one of the I had this idea 12 years ago. I don't even remember how many years ago. And I remember sitting and talking to Ben about it and saying we should be broadcasting our panels while the show's going on. Because if we broadcast our panels, then people at home that are maybe on the fence about coming to the show could watch the panel and be like, oh, man, that you, Jonathan Frakes is awesome. I want to go down there and meet him. You know, and maybe right. make the decision of I'm going to leave the house, whereas otherwise they would have just stayed home. The problem is that uh, when you do that, uh, you, it changes the contract. Yeah. Because then, then, it, then it becomes a situation where they're not just doing a panel at the show for the fans that are attending; they're doing a live broadcast. They're literally becoming an advertiser for your show, and so they're going to want something in exchange for that. It's the same reason why a lot of shows, uh, uh, and it's some shows don't even care. They just do it anyway. But a lot of shows don't film and post their panels because uh, technically that, that would require a separate contract to do that. Um, and what's crazy, what's so crazy about this, 
I can have 15 people in the audience filming a panel on their cell phone and they can all post it on YouTube. But if I post it on YouTube, yeah, then the agent comes after me and says, Hey, you didn't uh, clear this with us. And I have, I've always found that very funny, but you know, but yeah, I, I've been kind of pushing for that angle for a while because I think that that really is uh, sort of the future of, of how to get people more active and involved in these events. Um, but, it, but there are logistics that come with it sometimes. And, and as you know, as well, uh, saying we're going to stream this panel from a show sometimes is a lot easier said than done, you know, depending <laughs> on the, the, yeah. depending on the Wi-Fi signal or, you know, whatever the case may be that, that, that can present its own challenges. But um, but I do think that that's going to become the future of these events. And especially now that, you know, the events are, are you know, going to have to be structured in the way that they are. Uh, there's going to be a lot less guests coming to shows. Um, and uh, because there's a lot less guests, that means that, you know, it's potential. It's very possible you could have a show that has two panels in a day and that's it. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, it's just a matter of figuring out how to get that out there but i but i firmly believe i've i've believed this for a while i firmly believe the way to get people involved and engaged you have to have some kind of live connection while the event is going that shows them here's what you're missing like by not being by not being here here's what you're missing i think that's going to be the future yeah i think i think that whole fear of missing out uh, marketing aspect is is certainly a piece of that. Um, I remember uh, having some conversations with Chris Jackson because it, it, we had done some of this at Planet a few years, and a lot of the conversations circled back to broadcasting now during the show now doesn't sell me enough tickets because now the show's going on. And I think if if you know, that might be a little bit of a mental roadblock for some promoters as well, because uh, you know, the marketing of a thing is always we're going to promote, 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 promote before the show, because we want mm-hmm. people to be aware and we want them to come out. Now it seems like there's going to have to be a little bit of a shift in the approach, because like you're saying, you know, if we can show them a little bit about what's going on now, they might want to step out of the house and come see you know, like like maybe they come on Sunday or they come late Saturday afternoon and you get that second wave almost in attendance and that boost and of course a lot of those are going to be local which also brings up the possibility that maybe you can get get something out to like low power TV stations for example mm-hmm. you send the signal out that way but uh, in terms of the broadcast and how it changes the contract and by extension, it changes, you know, changes the fees, maybe some of that can be put behind a paywall. Maybe some of it can be sitting there saying, okay, we're, we're going to, uh, we'll, we'll shoot some B-roll, we'll shoot some stills, and we'll have somebody come out and report on what was going on in the panel, and we'll show a little bit of the panel, and we'll tease Here's what you missed. You know, there, there could be some different ways that you negotiate those kind of things. You know, maybe the panel is live on our YouTube channel for like three months and then we take it down or something like that. And it, do you think 
with so many celebrities doing these virtual panels and the Q&As and all of the things that they're doing now, do you think they're going to be a little bit more open to the idea of some of these panels being broadcast and it might not be as much of a stickler now with the agents and the booking? Yeah, I think I think that I think the game is changing. I think everything that's going on has changed the game. Uh, and I think they're starting to realize, uh, especially because of, uh, you know, Zoom meetings, things like this. And, and the fact that, uh, y- you know, all these TV specials that are coming on now are all being done through Zoom meetings. And and so they're realizing now that because they're stuck at home, uh, you know, this is the way to reach out to the fan base. This is the way to reach out to people and and stay connected with people. And I think they'll, I think they will understand better. It's going to be a lot easier for me as a promoter to have a conversation with a guest and say, Hey, we need to do a Facebook live video uh, where we're, we're going to do like a short, you know, on, on site interview that talks about, you know, you being here and, and kind of welcoming the fans and, you know, asking everybody to come out it's going to be a lot easier now to have that conversation than it was a year ago, because a year ago, anytime you would bring up something like that, the agent would step in and be like, wait, what is it you're asking them to do? Okay. We haven't discussed this. Whereas now I think everybody's going to kind of be on the same page. They're going to be like, Oh yeah. Okay. I get it. Yeah. We, uh, I understand why you want me to do that. And do do you think um, maybe now it might be expected at this point? Yeah, I think so. I think to some extent, um, you know, I, I think especially with uh, with everything that's going on, um, it, it's not a, it wouldn't be a huge ask for me as a promoter to say to a guest, hey, can you jump on a Zoom call, uh, you know, two weeks out from the show or a week out from the show? Or can I ask you, you know, instead of doing like local press or, or me having, you know, uh, press guys come up to you during the show to ask for an interview, can I just get you to do like five Zoom calls before the show and, and promote the fact that you're coming? I think they're going to understand that a lot better now. I think they're going to see the value in that a lot better now. So in some ways, I think that that could potentially really help, um, you know, the show, uh, the show's optics, you know, in, yeah. in terms of being able to get more eyeballs on what you're doing. Cause I got to tell you, man, that's, that's always been a bit of a challenge. Like I ask my guests, I always ask like, you know, can you guys do just like, you know, two or three interviews leading up to the show? And, um, most of the time they'll say yes, but it's not always easy making that happen either. Um, I was really lucky because was it last year, uh, Claudia Wells from back to the future came in and she flew in on Thursday and was here for two straight days before my show even started. And the whole reason she did it was so she could do press. And, and I was just like, wow, that's awesome. Like, thank you so much for being willing to do that. Not everybody's like that. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of times people are kind of like, wait, you want me to do what? Uh, I got to think about it. I can talk to my agent, whatever, you know? So it's nice when you get people that actually understand it. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that because of what's going on, they'll have a much better understanding when it comes time to ask them to do something like that. I hope. Well, and the other thing too, is this opens up the possibility for some of the more, for some of the online outlets, like you're talking about, you know, let's get out of the, uh, you know, get the blinders off and we're not just dealing with network and newspaper and radio. Some of these online Mm -hmm. outlets have the flexibility to do 
you know, the Zoom call, we can record it at eight o'clock at night whenever, whenever, you know, say Stephen Amell can only do 20 minutes in this time block. Okay, well, let's record it and then we can broadcast it later. There's a little bit right. more flexibility there with some of the, with these YouTube channels because we're not locked into, you know, programming blocks and schedules and all that like traditional TV stations and networks are. So maybe yeah. maybe that opens up some more possibilities on the marketing side of things as well because now you have other options. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I've, I've dealt a lot with local TV stations uh, that whenever I've got a show coming up, uh, sometimes they're pretty good about, you know, working me in on a segment to talk about the show and whatnot. But I always find it funny because there, there's a there's a major there's a major disconnect in understanding for them because every time they say, hey, we want to have you on Monday of the week of your show to do a segment. Who's going to be in town that can come on the show with you? And I'm like, <laughs> nobody's going to be in town. Like nobody comes in until Friday night. Like no. that's not how this works. They don't live here, you know. And uh, and and you can tell there's always been a little bit of a disconnect. Like they don't quite understand that that what they're asking is not something that's even possible. But see now that's changed because now like if I went on to do a segment live with the local news station. I could call up a guest and say, hey, I need you to do a Zoom call while I'm on this. And and that way, you know, you're part of this segment, even though you're not here. And I really feel like they get it now. Yeah. Like, like it, it's not the same. Again, it's not the same as if I asked them a year ago. If I ask them now, they're going to understand. They're going to see the value in it. And that's how I think this has really changed the face of at least the promotional side of the convention. Well, and I've also had a thought that that promoters not just the guests, but I think it would be a good idea for promoters to get out in front of the camera at some point and do some interviews about here's what's coming up on the show, here's what we got planned, and do segments with press maybe three weeks out, six weeks out, to just kind of prime the pump a little bit, especially when you're, when you're talking to local. But again, online stuff, if you're going to have a broadcast component, you don't have any limitations as far as your location anymore. You can you can talk to anybody because anybody can watch at least the broadcast part of it. And if they're traveling to the show, then they get a little bit of a heads up what to expect. Maybe. I don't. Yeah, no, I think there's truth to that. Uh, I, and, I, and I do agree with you. I think that the promoters need to make themselves more available. Um I'm, I've been trying to do that the last couple of shows anyway. Like I've been trying to post more videos of me. Like, hey, guys, I'm Mark Walters. I run the Dallas Comic Show and, and just telling the fans we're looking forward to having everybody there and stuff like that. I, th I think that goes a long way because, again, it, it kind of coming full circle to something I mentioned earlier when we were talking, it, it gives it that personal touch. It gives people that personal touch to, to where it's not just like dallas comic show runs dallas comic show it's like oh there's an actual guy that like does this and he's talking to me right now and he's welcoming me to come to the show i i think that can really go a long way now for anybody that is uh in a holding pattern as it were about mm -hmm. what what to expect on these things you, you know there's the, there's some trepidation there's still that maybe not necessarily fear so much, but like you were talking earlier, the hypersensitivity. 
between now and when things kind of get back to normal, if you had something to, to tell people what to expect, what to keep in mind, what kind of advice are you going to give people who are waiting for things to get back to normal? Um, it's going to sound selfish when I say it, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Uh, support local events. Because, um, and this is not based on anything, my personal feelings towards, you know, whether it's a, a corporate event or like a big box show or whatever, because uh, those are fine, you know, for what they are. Yeah. But I think it's really important to support local businesses uh, anyway, and, and, and to support local promoters uh, because you're real you really are building the community at that point you know uh the corporate shows the big box shows if they don't survive in your city they'll just go somewhere else um they're like traveling carnivals you know they're not gonna die um whereas someone like myself or um you know uh trying to think of like another good example um I mean, I, I could use Chris because, I mean, even though Chris has got a big show, you know, it's like he counts on that show. That's that's income for him. And, and that's a local event that he does. Um, I just think it's very important to support local uh, promoters and local business owners, because uh, I think that's how you really build. Uh, I mean, look at San Diego Comic-Con. San Diego Comic-Con started out as a little show in a hotel with like 100 people. And, and it grew to what it is now. It's yeah. like the most widely recognized international event that we have. But that never would have happened if people hadn't, had, you know, continued to support it and come back over and over again. Now, they had an advantage because at the time when they were growing, there was only really like three major shows in the United States anyway. But I just think it's really important to support these local uh, promoters because I think that's how you build the community and I, and I think in a weird way, it, it's like you're having a hand in in the the building of that event because without you, they wouldn't they'd fail to exist. So so find local events that you can support and and spread the word on them. That's another thing that's hugely important. Spread the word because it amazes me how many people will come up to me at the show and they'll be like, "Oh my god, I had such a fun time. This was so great. It was so." accessible and everything and i always say oh that's nice could you could you post something on social media about that and they never do yeah you know or or what they'll do is they'll post a picture of themselves with a celebrity or with a comic artist and they don't even say the name of the show <laughs> it's like guys come on please all i'm asking is for a shout out just a little shout out you know in exchange for your happiness but uh it, it is kind of amazing to me sometimes how people don't they, they they don't reciprocate the things that they love. And, and so I want to see more of that. I want to see people be more supportive of local events and more, you know, and more engaging uh, in their own way, uh, you know. And, and I'm not saying that people don't ever do it because I have had a few people that have done it and, it. and it always warms my heart to see people post about the show and really go out of their way to spread the word. Um, yeah, I just wish more people would do it. Yeah. That's kind of rambling, but I think hopefully I answered your question. Yeah, you did. You did. And and you also run a Facebook group called Rate That Comic-Con where people talk about the different shows they've been to and, and 
kind of wish they could go to again. Um, and we've had some feedback. With... I'm gonna I'm gonna correct I'm gonna correct I'm gonna correct you real quick. Okay. I don't run it. Okay. I'm one of seven admins who is like behind it, gotcha. but it's it, it we, very much like a think tank that goes behind it. No one really runs it. It's just kind of there, and we moderate it. Um, but yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Go ahead. Okay. Well, so the Facebook group is Rate That Comic Con. I have had some feedback from people as we do the school closings list saying, oh, I didn't even know about this show. Um, you know, well, I've got some new ones to check out, especially on the ones that are going virtual. Oh, well, I've got some new ones to try. So, you know, hopefully as the paradigm shifts and settles into something, not not just the promoters are coming into a different mindset, but the people out there in the community are thinking in different ways that they can attend some different things. And maybe we can all meet in the middle somehow. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it, it is interesting because when all this started, uh, you saw a lot of, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, fan backlash because um, the fans were more upset that the event they were looking forward to going to was canceled and they weren't really thinking about why it was canceled. Yeah. They were just mad that it was canceled. And, and like, what am I going to get my money back? And it's like, guys, um, in certain cases, you might be talking about a show that sold 20,000 tickets. That's not a push of a button to get your money back. Like, they have to, like, go through a process to get your money back. And so I think what we saw was um, some really strong reactionary behavior in the beginning. I think now people are really starting to get it. It's so funny because, like, and you've seen this firsthand. Now versus then... Like when, when a show would announce it was canceling back then in the beginning, like in March and April, people were like, Oh, this sucks. And they were just completely hitting the, hitting the roof. You yeah. know, yeah. now when it's announced, the, the reaction is kind of like, well, that sucks, but I kind of expected it. Yeah. Like, cause everybody's being groomed into like, this is the new normal. This is what we're dealing with right now. So it, it's definitely changed um, recently, and I think people are more understanding of it. But it doesn't make it any less depressing. <laughs> but you know, it, it, hopefully, hopefully, people have a better understanding that you know it's it's not something that is it's not as easy to to just say no. We're just going to go ahead and do it anyway. Yeah. And I think back in April there was very much that kind of attitude of like you know they should just do it. And now I think they realize well it's not that simple. Yeah. All right, Mark Walters, thank you very much for your time today, sir. And Absolutely, he is also the editor here. We'll throw that up real quick. Bigfanboy.com. Uh, celebrate. Well, it looks like 15 years you've been doing this. I didn't realize you've been doing it that long. Yeah, we are officially the longest-running movie news and review website in Dallas, and uh, it's uh, it's been a very interesting ride, a very interesting journey. I've, I've learned a lot, and I've I've been lucky enough to have some really amazing experiences and meet some really amazing people. And uh, hopefully the best is yet to come. Well, hopefully uh, that is the case for, for all of us involved. So thanks very much for your time. We will definitely circle back to this as things shift into whatever the next phase looks like. And uh, we'll have you back to talk about that again. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. And don't forget, we do have a master list there, conventions and events over at sci-fi for me.com. You can see 
not just a Google Calendar, which we are constantly updating, but an alphabetical list of all of the different events that we are uh, aware of. And right now it's alphabetical. We're still looking for a widget to make it searchable. Uh, but you can always do a control F and hit a find uh, widget that's built into the browser. But there is a Google Calendar there embedded as well. We do invite you to check that out. And if your event is not on that list, we definitely want to know about it. So you can send us an email and let us know. Our mailing address, if you want a sticker, or if you've got something you'd like to send us to review, Sci-Fi for Me, 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 6. Four zero three zero, and I want to thank Mark Walters for the time. Uh, it, one of the things that has struck me over the years is uh, the the number of conversations that I hear that I that I participate in, where people don't seem to exactly understand how events are organized, how they're run. Uh, so I thought it would be uh, of particular value to help a little bit with some of that inside baseball. So hopefully this has been something that's been helpful, uh, especially in this time where things are having to adjust drastically. So uh, we'll, we'll, we, it's all part of the service. It's, it's our way of bringing you more. And uh, another thing that we do to bring you more 10% discount over at SuperheroStuff.com. You can use the promo code Sci-Fi for Me 10 at checkout, and that will get you some savings. So that's going to wrap it up here. Thank you very much, everyone in the chat, for participating and leaving your comments and thoughts. And uh, if you are listening or watching in replay, you are welcome to leave comments of your own. And uh, we do have an email address for feedback live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. And that's going to do it. Don't forget, it is your money. It's your vote. You're in control because you're the customer. And if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Have a good weekend. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.